What a privilege to belong to family. I stand here overwhelmed with emotion. When I arrived here early, Andrew saw the emotion I had coming into this space. It's changed. <laughs> and I, it made me very, I was unprepared for how upset it made me. And I was worried I was coming for meetings uh, last week and I was worried about this place and all of the changes that had come and being called back as alumni back into uh, community. I was, uh, before, when all of the trustees were coming in, there were people I didn't know, so I hid from them. Uh, <laughs> and I went back to Trish in her back office and I was showing her pictures of my puppy. And uh, Evelyn ran in and she said, Trish, you have to come. You know, you have to come right now. And Trish got up, and I'm still showing her pictures of my puppy, and Evelyn came back, and she said, it's an emergency. You need to come now. And so Trish went, and I followed her, because, I, you know, I, I'm, I belong now to a generation of, you know, <laughs> I thought there was going to be cardiac arrest, you know. And I looked to see what the emergency was, and it was the coffee maker wouldn't pour coffee. <laughs> This is still my home. <laughs> we haven't changed. <laughs> it's a privilege to stand among you. It really is. To be a part of a home and a family connected to our greater brothers and sisters around the world. It's a beautiful thing. I am a chaplain, uh, but for fun, <laughs> uh, Sunday mornings, I'm available um, because our chaplaincy services are in the afternoon at, at Grandview Manor where I serve. So for the last seven years since I've come back to the valley, I've served for pulpit supply. And it's very uh, fun to do. I highly suggest it to anyone because it's like being a grandparent. You show up, you know, you have all of the fun of Sunday service and none of the responsibility. <laughs> If people don't like it, Monday morning, no one, you know, like they don't call me. They don't, have my, they don't have my phone number. It hasn't been given to them. It's wonderful. So you get come and you show up and you just give things away. Every week you just show up in a different place. It's like a family reunion all up and down the valley. Uh, but it is lonely. It's, it's kind of weird because you're always the outsider coming in. So to keep myself amused because I would get kind of bored with myself. Uh, I started about a year ago um, putting my sermon titles to be songs from the tragically hip. And so every week I would just, when I was asked by the secretary to submit my sermon title, I would submit a song from the tragically hip. And no one ever asked me about it. I never referenced it in the sermon, they, uh, and, and it, just, it was just for my own amusement. So, uh, but after a while I lamented on Facebook that I was running out of songs, uh, and that I said, if I, if I preach on trapped in the trunk of the car, someone's going to ask me about it. <laughs> so a friend of mine, um, Gordon Dickinson, does anybody know Gordon Dickinson? New Brunswick, PEI? We, we grew up together. He said, what you have to preach on this Sunday is Gus, the polar bear from New York City. <laughs> does anybody know that song? Uh, I said... Brother, if you give me the scripture, I'll preach on it. 
So he wrote back and he said, the scripture is Psalm 42. And so as I opened it up and looked at it, I mean, the first few lines, I was like, oh, no, because it's, you know, as the deer pants. And I, I was worried we were going to sing it today. <laughs> you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm a 70s kid, and I grew up in the early 80s camp, and that was the song we'd sung, and, you know, as the deer, and it was kind of romantic, you know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of like, uh, sorry if you like it. <laughs> but I'm the guest here, right? Like, you can't <laughs> But I read on, I read on, and the scripture, I was just like, oh, here we go. As a deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, oh God, that's fine. Um, (laughs) But then it says, my soul thirsts for God, where can I go and meet with God? Tears have been my food day and night. And then it's like sorrow. When men said to me all day long, where is your God? You know, I heard bitterness. These things I remember and I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession. To hear that, that leading, I used to go, I used to be the one, I used to be the one singing the songs at the front, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng, the anger, the agony of memory, and then the invitation. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls and all your waves and breakers have swept over me. And the statement of certitude, my God, my rock. And then the absolute truth of what it's like to really live. My God and my rock, why have you forsaken me? If you don't know the song, Gus, the polar bear from New York City, the gist of it is, this is something that happened in the 80s uh, in New York City about a polar bear named Gus. Uh, and, and animal welfare wasn't at that time where it is now. So it was a small enclosure in the Central Park, and, and Gus was this polar bear, and everybody would walk by the display, and after a while, uh, somebody wrote in the newspaper, what's wrong with Gus, because they noticed all of a sudden he started just swimming in a circle all day long, just swimming around and around and around. Gus was the first polar bear to be treated with Prozac with wonderful results. But it wasn't, the, the trouble of it wasn't because Gus was suffering from clinical depression. Gus was suffering because he was a polar bear in New York City. Scripture, in particular the Psalms, I would commend to you as life. They are humanity in its rawest, roughest, brutal, nasty uh, form And also, it's most touching, it's most gentle, it's most beautiful. But we don't often um, read the Psalms for their wholeness. I don't know if you've ever noticed in church, we have a tendency to edit the Psalms. 
you know? It's, we take three lines out, the nice lines, and we use them as our call to worship or whatever you use them for, but you lift those ones out, and those are the ones that we as people affirm and hear as good. If you can write it on a pillow, if you can embroider it on a pillow, you know, like that's the Psalms we know and we hear. I would even argue, and I, I debated saying that we castrate them of what their true gift to us are because they are the true spectrum of emotion and feeling and a way of putting ourselves together before God that's honest. And people have picked up on that and swallowed it and are living it. Because the number of emotions that we feel, the number of emotions that we as humans experience through the whole of our lives is wide. And the number of emotions we can name, how are you today, is here. And the number of emotions that it's appropriate to share with people are here. The Psalms speak to the breadth of what our emotions are. I'd encourage you, um, if you have a say in these things, to request a course on the Psalms. Whether it's through preaching, preaching through the Psalms, or whether it's in Old Testament. Um, uh, Dr. Ashley taught a... a um, a, a session on the Psalms when I was a student, and it was formative for me. I'm honored to have Dr. Trites here, uh, one of my professors. There's a lot to it, and I'm not going to get all to it today about what the Psalms are and what their history are and their communal nature because there's just not the time. But what I want to commend to you is the honesty of them. Because I work with the people, typically, who have lived with um, uh, a holding in and a holding on of uh, appropriate emotions. And my job as chaplain is to start to unpack and hear the wholeness of them. For example, I'd like to share with you this hymn. Somebody recommended it, uh, requested it this past week. And it's a nice old hymn, like this, fine. Um, I remember, you know, singing it many times. The Trust and Obey, you, you know, da -da -dum -ba -da -dum -ba -da -dum -ba, that one. Um, you know, when we walk with the Lord, and the, the verses are, are pretty good. This is the thing about hymnology and theology. There's a lot of good to them, but there's also a little bit of trouble. This hymn was written in the 1800s, uh, and listen to this hymn that we sing. Not a shadow can rise... Not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt, nor a fear, not a sigh, nor a tear, can abide if we trust and obey. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that doesn't ring true in my world. It doesn't ring true in my people's world. I see those things going together. It's like the word courage. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's not the opposite of fear. It's action while you are afraid. 
Similarly, this, what we have gifted people with is the idea uh, and the Sunday school song. Did you guys sing this one? I'm inside, outside, upside, downside, happy all the time. <laughs> Did you sing that one? No? Yeah. Count yourself blessed if you didn't. I'm inside. But since Jesus sent to me and said my la la la, I'm inside, outside, upside, downside, happy all the time. I mean, what a lot. Like, like, I get a bit cussy these days, but it's, it's kind of. It's kind of I won't do it. But I mean, really, I mean, what are we communicating to people? It's ridiculous. It's not biblical. I'm not inside, outside, upside, downside, happy all the time. There's joy that is a deeper undercurrent that can take you alongside, but happy is a funny, funny word. I'd like to read for you a poem, and but. If you don't like poetry, just hold on, you know. Um, I found this. Now, what's interesting is that this person uh, was born in 1872 as well. So, like, this is the same generation. Uh, this poet, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, was African-American, one of the first uh, poets to be recognized uh, African-American uh, in, in that generation. Very important in history. But listen to how our... Listen to how true these words are to our experience. It's not one of his uh, greater poems, but it hit me. The poem is titled, We Wear the Mask. We wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes, this debt we pay to human guile. With torn and bleeding hearts, we smile, a mouth with myriad subtleties. Why should the world be overwise in counting all our tears and sighs? Nay, let them only see us while we wear the mask. We smile, but, O oh, great Christ, our cries to thee from tortured souls arise. We sing, but, O oh, the clay is vile beneath our feet and long the mile. But let the world dream otherwise. We wear the mask. I've been invited to talk practically today and not just theologically. And I'd like to talk about spiritual care, being a spiritual care provider. I thought I'd share with you a couple of real life stories from my experience. And the first one is a total failure. I have a terrible habit of honesty. <laughs> now, uh, uh, my supervisor is here, and I recognize that. This, earlier this week, we were having a supervisory meeting, and I was talking about what was to come this week, and, and she said, uh, do you know that I will be there? And I was like... No, she's like, ah, oh. as you were talking, I could get the sense that you didn't know I was going to be there. <laughs> so for her benefit, I'll say, I often avoid honesty, um, but if someone asks me a direct question, I will tell you exactly what I think. So I don't mind standing here today and telling you exactly of a total failure of my providing, not providing spiritual care to a person. 
I walked into the room, this was early into my time into clinical ministry. I had 10 years experience as a pastor uh, after my MDiv. But when I walked into, I had a hard time in my new job separating social visit with religious themes to spiritual care. I walked into this room, I was referred to see this um, resident because he was a Lutheran pastor in life. And so the nurses marked that down, and so they said, well, obviously he'll want to see the chaplain. Uh, and I thought, well, obviously he'll want to see me. <laughs> um, and he had experienced a profound stroke, um, so that he had no ability to move his body on both uh, sides. He had, no, he had some ability to talk, although I never heard him speak. Um, he was a carpenter. He built his own house. He was a master woods worker. Um, and he had the bluest eyes. I can see them now. They were like um, a really cool, soft blue. And he would come to our, he would be brought to our Bible studies, and I would interact with him there. You, can, you could see his mental, he was mentally, he was fully able to process. Um, and so I walked into his room, you know, here I am. <laughs> and I sat down, and, and when Somebody can't speak, you know, there's a little bit of a burden of conversation on you. On you. <laughs> and so I was just chit-chatting about, you know, the different themes, and I thought, well, I'll read him scripture, because that's, you know, the nice thing to do. Uh, and I started to read him this section, I don't remember where it was, I'm glad I don't, because I'd never look at it again. Uh, I started to read him this section of scripture, and it talked about uh, our loving God. And he started to cry. It wasn't happy tears. It was angry, suffering tears. And I, I paused, you know, like, and I looked, and, I, and when it got to another section about God's love and his provision, he started to cry harder. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone cry who has had a full stroke and can't control their body, um, but it's, it was messy, and it was very upsetting. It's, see, it's still ups. This was six years ago. And it still upsets me to remember it. And I sat there and I thought, uh, I need to leave. <laughs> you know, like that's what's going on in my head. This is not going well. Uh, I, am a, I am a burden to this man. I have brought this up. I could recognize the suffering in him. And I thought, what do I do with this? Uh, and I, if I could play on, on the video, like a screenshot of me, and like you could plot like how quickly I ran from that room, really. All I wanted was to get out of there. Now, and I didn't visit him again. And I justified it in my head because I said, I thought to myself, I never want him to feel like that again. I want him to have a happy, you know, as happy, you know, like let recreation help. I never want him to feel like that again. But in honesty... It's because I never want to feel like that again. I was not prepared to hear his truth. The suffering that is life. I wanted nice, tidy, if you trust in the Lord, da 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 da, cliche, da 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 da. You know, like that's where I was comfortable, and this I wasn't. 
I tell you that story not to make you think that I'm very bad at my job, <laughs> but to say the importance of inner self-work before you walk into someone else's room. Because the thing about clinical work is you follow you into every room you give. And it's like cooking. I don't know, this, is, might, this analogy might not work. Um, if, if, you're, if you're cooking and something's frozen and you try to cook it, like it might look good, but it's not going, like I always try to cook things in the microwave or defrost it in the microwave and just cook it faster and, uh, and it's, it's not good food. Um, the work that we have to do, interior work, is important. Because what we bring to people, uh, it does make a difference. We need to be prepared for the depth of suffering in our own lives and when we meet it with others so that we can be fully present. This is the thing, and this is the point. The gift of the Psalms, the gift of this scripture, is not to negate the pain of this world. It brings us a new understanding of what it means to be people of faith in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of brokenness. It doesn't shy away from it. I'm aware when you come home to preach, it's a funny thing because you can you remember all of the things of, of how you're supposed to preach because you know your professors in the room. Uh, and when I saw Spencer this morning, I was reminded that my sermon has no doctrine in it. <laughs> Spencer wasn't my professor, um, but it does. It's the doctrine of incarnation. Jesus, fully human and fully divine. I like to always think of Jesus as half human and half divine, but that's not what incarnational doctrine is about. To be fully human, Jesus experienced rejection. We have it as a gift in our scriptures, that experience of rejection that he felt, the experience of betrayal, the experience of loneliness, of anger, of irritation. I love the bits where Jesus is irritated. He, the, one of my favorites is Matthew 15, 16, and he says to his disciples, his disciples just asked a question, and he turned to them and said, are you still so dull? <laughs> it's translated in the message are you intentionally being stupid <laughs> that's incarnation God with us and so we sit I know that I'm at time and so I'll say my last I won't say my other stories I'll leave you with the encouragement that the field is now white in the world. And that's not just a, a plea towards my, my elder generation. <laughs> but it is. Look, these folks who 
grow up, grew up in a time of my mother's generation, she talks about it, this was a generation of don't tell. Keep it in, do not tell anybody. And the success that I've discovered of evangelism in the last few years as I've started to wade in deeper as a person that they can tell and they can confess and they can speak out their fear of being shut out of heaven. It's amazing that, I mean, these folks, when abortion became available and so widely available but without any resource of meaning, making through it, uh, when adoption was pressed without any resources of meaning-making through it, when abuse was rampant with no ability to ha make meaning of it, the shame that has been put on this generation, and they're inspired because of this Me Too movement, because of the freedom of uh, expression, all of a sudden the generation is inspired to speak out and to receive a true, deep healing. Because that's when you walk with the Lord. That's when the transformation happens. Not the transaction ministry that I thought I was going to have, but the transformational ministry of continually going deeper and opening up ourselves to one another in that incarnational belief, I leave you with the blessing of continue. Continue. May your deep call to the deep around you. May this space be a place of refreshment, of renewal, and of blessing. As you study, as you teach, as you become closer together as humans, may you continue. And may God richly bless you as you do.